should Coming do up there. We should do a musical episode. <laughs> reading and writing, the musical. A few months ago, I started reading this book to you out loud, and instantly, 400 years disappeared, right? Yes. Do you have any idea why? There's, there's a prologue, which is hilarious. Prologue in which he asks his... Um, he tells his friend he has no idea how to start this book, and his friend says, Oh, just, just copy people. Just steal. We don't know who he's stealing from. Well, I mean, not officially, at least. Well, he says, in this, <laughs> you know, if you want to say something about this, just quote this thing from Horace, or whoever said it. Why did 400 years instantly fall away? What was it about the tone of this? And then, of course, the, the novel itself starts with this hilarious sentence somewhere in La Mancha, in a place whose name I do not care to remember. <laughs> a gentleman lived not long ago. You know what I mean? So... Surely nothing could be more alien to us in the 21st century, but... Well, I think it's it might be because it's very slapstick sort of humor, which, well, I don't want to reduce it to that, but a lot of it is. And that must be timeless. It seems like basic... I'll read you. I'll read you. This, remember this? By the light of the innkeeper's lamp, the mule driver saw what was happening to his lady. And leaving Don Quixote, he hurried to give her the help she needed. The innkeeper also approached, but with a different purpose, because he went to her to punish the girl, believing, no doubt, that she was alone, that she alone was the reason for so much harmony. And as the old saying goes, the cat chased the rat, the rat chased the rope, the rope chased the stick. The mule driver hit Sancho, Sancho hit the girl, the girl hit Sancho, the innkeeper hit the girl, and all of them acted so fast and furiously, they did not let up for an instant. Then the best part was that the innkeeper's lamp went out, and since they were in darkness, everyone hit everyone with so little mercy that wherever their hands landed, they left nothing whole and sound. Oh my gosh. <laughs> it's like those weird clouds in cartoons when you just see yeah, fists exactly. flying. And... Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I know, it couldn't be sillier, but we know from the very beginning that that's exactly what he wants to do. A place I don't care to remember. So the silliness, we still are completely enraptured by that same kind of Marx Brothers, Three Stooges, Charlie Chaplin, Wiley Coyote, slapstick. Yeah, I think a lot of people consider it a sort of lowest form of humor. Do you, right? Doesn't, don't you get that sense? It's not exactly deep, but it doesn't make you think. That's kind of what slapstick is. But the book isn't only that. Right. And what else makes this book timeless? The hopeless romantic desires of a person to be known and to save <laughs> to save people, to be considered a hero, to, you know, all these ridiculous desires that are in all of us. Mm -hmm. To be famous, he's just a massive caricature. That at the same time happens to be real. I feel like we all have an uncle <laughs> who is more or less exactly like Don Quixote. You know, he's read all these books of chivalry, and they fried his brains. Yeah. And he decides, or he falls under this delusion that he is a knight errant. Mm -hmm. This The exact same pattern repeats now in the 21st century, only it's not books of chivalry, it's... I don't know, Instagram influencers. We all see Instagram influencers and we sit and we say, I, I want to be one. I am one. Shouldn't I be one? Aren't <laughs> I entitled to be famous on Instagram for basically no reason? 
You know oh, what I mean? Yeah, and, exactly. and we kind of pursue this hopeless, quite harmful, actually. I mean, that's a question I wanted to ask you. Mm. Is this a good... He turns in, he, he turns himself into this knight. He has this cardboard helmet. He makes this ridiculous <laughs> shield. He's riding on this half-starved-to-death horse. And is starting fights with every single person. <clears throat> just to... Just to be battling. Yeah. One of the first things that happens is he, come, he comes across that peasant boy who's being whipped by his master. <laughs> and he demands that the master stop, and the master says he will, and then Don Quixote rides away, and then the boy gets an even more severe whipping. Because the master's now angry. And he feels so proud of himself, Don Quixote, as he walks away, <laughs> thinking he's one of many first justices that he will have... The narrator, the narrator says, "Thus, Don Quixote righted a wrong." <laughs> you know, but then, then he, he approaches this inn, which he thinks is a castle, and he sees these prostitutes hanging out outside of the inn, oh, and he calls them fair ladies, princesses, and fair ladies. And they laugh, and they're—I mean, they're—they're they're moved by it, and completely charmed, obviously, and touched by the way he's treating them. While at the same time knowing that he's being ridiculous. They keep laughing at him. They, yeah. they, they, they goad him on into more and more absurdity. Mm-hmm. But he keeps calling them fair ladies and princesses. Yeah, he's clearly blinded by, by passionate... It's interesting because I think one of the other books we read together and did for this podcast was Heart of Darkness. Mm-hmm. And it's a much more extreme and dark version of how... Our desires can blind us to do extremely unusual things. <laughs> yeah. In order to be more noble and courageous and ennobling, is some amount of delusion necessary? I think so. Honestly, I think even just getting up in the morning and thinking, today's going to be a great day, <laughs> requires a lot of delusion. <laughs> No, I'm not trying to be cynical or anything, but, you know, it's a miracle that people don't live in extreme fear as a rule, you know what I mean? Considering what life is like and considering mortality and everything, I think even just to be a functional human, there is a lot of delusion involved. Required. Selective ignorance, at least. Yes, and even to accomplish some great things. In fact, I was thinking about that when we recently hiked a very tall mountain. Uh-huh. Mount Timpanogos, the elevation is like 12,000 feet. And and I remember thinking a sane, completely rational person, could, could such a person really go all the way to the top when the trail gets really narrow? And There are defensive mother goats. Yeah, like the people who choose to keep going up to the very top, does that require a certain amount of... <laughs> no, I'm serious. Like, is it courage or delusion? Because the... Yeah, where's the where's the boundary between those two? We yeah. almost got to the top. This was just a few days ago. We almost got to the top. It was a very narrow trail, basically a precipice. And there was this mountain goat <laughs> mother and a little kid just standing there in the trail, and I didn't want to approach, and she was kind of like butting away other goats that were getting too close to her. The trail was about two feet wide at oh, the most. Probably more narrow than that. 
And she was right on it. And I didn't want to get closer to her and have her charge me, force me to jump off the cliff. So we had to turn around. While we saw other people who kept going up. We're going around, like, taking this other weird, even more scary route. Yeah, and it... And I... I heard, I just remember thinking, what kind of mind would it require to keep going? I'm not saying I have the answer, but were the people who decided to keep going up less wise or more yeah. courageous or yeah. more delusional? Like, do you know what I mean? I do. I totally do. You're an artist in multiple genres, a writer, a painter, a musician. Do you feel like some element of Don Quixote is necessary to make things? Yes, absolutely. I think you have to... You have to have this belief, no matter how ridiculous, that masses... <laughs> the masses will be moved. <laughs> Just kidding, not the masses. But that somebody... That the thing that you're making will... Somebody will connect with it. I think a lot of faith is involved. Do you have to? Faith or stupidity, I'm not sure. Well, that's the Don Quixote question. Is he stupid? Is he the most stupid character in the book or the most wise? He sees those windmills and says, Oh, those are giants, mighty giants. And poor Sancho Panza is like, Senor, master, those are not giants. They're windmills. Just like so tired of all of this delusion, you know? Hmm. Don Quixote just won't hear it and charges me, you know. I'm kind of reminded of Isaac. Isaac today, our son, he's obsessed with chemistry and chemical compounds and chemical experiments. And he wanted to make this explosive compound. He promised some kid at school that he would make this explosive compound. I tried to explain to him that this is not possible. Mm-hmm. He's nine years old. I'm, I'm not sure he knows that it's not possible. And half of me really admires that. Should I wish that our son had more realism? I know. Or should these delusions of grandeur be preserved. Why can't I make highly explosive and dangerous and rare compounds at home? Do you really believe that you wouldn't make things if somebody told you that no one would ever encounter your art? Wouldn't you still make it? I would. So it's not the belief, it's not the quixotic belief that it will find an audience that makes you do it. No, I would still do it, but even just the hope, the hope that you will create something beautiful is romantic, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The hope, in fact, it's necessary, I think completely necessary, but also, of course, completely ridiculous, that each time you begin a thing, you will assume and hope that it will be a masterpiece. I love what Dean Young says, contemporary poet Dean Young, he says, the problem isn't that we fall, the problem is that we fall from a not great height. I love that. We're probably going to fail anyway, no matter what we try. If we try something mediocre, we're probably going to fail. And if we try something masterful, we're probably going to fail. We might as well try for something amazing. You know what I mean? Quixotic. It is, yeah. You you have to kind of believe that it's possible to make a masterpiece. That can make you look like a ridiculous person. Completely. <laughs> yeah. But you have to. Every artist has Don Quixote inside of them. But every human, in some degree, like you say, getting out of bed. Yeah, believing and hoping, even being sure that the day is going to 
go great. You will accomplish all your goals. You will be safe. <laughs> On a mountain. Yeah. Even if all you do is just stay home and you don't even go to work, just... Okay, so if this book was a kind of allegory for the inner components of one human mind, you know, there's that moment where Don Quixote comes back to his house and his, I guess it's his niece and that nurse and the barber and the priest or the housemaid, they're all there and they burn all the books. Mm-hmm. Not only do they burn all the books, but they seal, they completely seal the door of a library and paint it over. They build a wall. <laughs> so you can't even find the library where all the books of chivalry were that made him lose his wits. Mm. And the housemaid is so gleefully burning all these books. <laughs> she can't believe her luck that she gets to do this, which is hilarious, She's right? She's just in this burning frenzy, just she, anything. <laughs> why do you think, I mean, I have another thing, but why, why? Why did Cervantes make her such a gleeful? And, you know, the priest and the barber are doing this very hilarious and naive and incompetent kind of censorship. They look at the spine of each book and judge by the title and the cover whether or not, or the reputation of the, the author, whether or not it should be burned. I think people are extremely unsettled by passionate, ambitious people. Or dreamers, you know what I mean? And maybe even resentful. They just, some people just don't like to see a dreamer. Or, yeah, but also why are people so afraid of art? Why burn books? Yes, it goes back to the dreaming. I think people are are scared of letting their emotions run free, so it's kind of... We listened to this amazing interview with Brian Eno talking about um, surrendering, the idea that humans actually love to surrender to things um, and to be not in control, because we love art mm-hmm. and... Even drugs. I'm not saying we love drugs. <laughs> we love drugs. But people turn to drugs t- in order to surrender. Yeah. Yeah, and dreaming and, you know, being a Don Quixote kind of person, you're constantly surrendering to your passions, right, and your desires. And these chivalry novels that he that he reads and that, you know, completely swept him away and beyond all reason... <laughs> It's just an extreme caricature of what can happen. Or, or actually, I would say it's a care, it's the kind of character, caricature a very insecure sort of person like the priests and the housekeeper who are burning the books would make of a person who dreams or is interested in art. I'm not saying this is the way to read any book, let alone this one, but this is a five minute little thought experiment. If all of these represent parts of one inner mind, there's a Don Quixote in us, but there's also a gleeful book-burning housekeeper in us. Should we preserve that part of us that tries to protect us from bad or dangerous or subpar art? Is there any reason why it might be good to burn a bunch of romance novels? Are they justified at all in trying to protect their friend and family member from horribly misinformed, stereotyped, unrealistic cliche, aesthetically incompetent books. Should we not be running far away from such books? Uh, No, we should, definitely. But do you think that the author was only thinking of cliche books, or do these people, the book burners, represent anybody who is against the arts, basically? Because I hadn't even 
thought of it as them being well they're they're much more puritanical than they are aesthetic their their criteria for which books to burn don't seem to be aesthetic they seem to be much more yeah because they don't actually know the books and they they're much more worried about the effects they'll have on a person's behavior and on society right than on the aesthetic merit of any i mean that does come into it a little bit but the danger seems to be in the fact that they don't actually even know any of these books that well. You know what I mean? They're just quickly going through them and, and making assumptions. Yeah. That they're all just evil, basically. Yeah. But Don Quixote does know them, and they rotted his brain. Yeah. Doesn't uh, a book written by Cervantes actually come up? <laughs> I know. <laughs> they wonderfully give it a, a second chance in life. Oh my gosh, it's hilarious. I'm reading it out loud to you while you paint. Yes, this is the dreamy life we're living. You know, just 10 or 20 minutes a day. So it's taking forever, but it's kind of wonderful that way. And time after time you say things like, I can't believe this is 400 years old. It seems brand new. It seems brand new. I know, there's times when I my jaw just drops. I'm like, is that the funniest thing I've ever heard? So, Well, for example, what? Or why does it seem so new to you? Well... We're experiencing sort of an accidental... We kind of accidentally happen to be watching Seinfeld right now, too. Simultaneously. Every night we'll watch like an episode or two. Mm. And it's the weirdest experience because they're so similar. So ridiculously similar. And at first I thought of looking into it like, I wonder if Larry David was directly inspired by Don Quixote. But honestly, I just think it's because it's about humans. Real humans, and they are ridiculous. And Well, what are the similarities? Well, first of all, the conversations. The absolutely ridiculous conversations. So much of Seinfeld is just these <laughs> conversations between friends, right? In that diner or coffee shop, and, and they're just... Wouldn't you say that these little conversations are the funniest part about Seinfeld? Oh, yeah, totally. Completely unimportant petty, <laughs> just bizarre conversations that they get way into, like toilet paper. Toilet paper hasn't changed in decades. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's the only one I can think of right now. But that's because they're usually not important. <laughs> anyway, so there's these crazy conversations between Don Quixote and... Um, Sancho Panza, for example. Sancho... Tries, Sancho Panza tries to tell Don Quixote a story about a goat herd. Oh, this is the best. And this goat herd tries to cross his this river with his flock. So he, quote, this is Sancho speaking, he kept looking around until he saw a fisherman with a boat, one so small that only one person and one goat could fit in it. Even so, he talked to him, and they arranged for the fisherman to ferry him and his 300 goats across the river. The fisherman got into the boat and ferried across a goat. He came back and ferried another one. He came back again and again. He ferried one across. Your grace has to keep count of the goats the fisherman ferries across, because if you miss one, the story will be over and it won't be possible to say another word. And so I'll go on and say that the landing on the other side was very muddy and slippery, and it took the fisherman a long time to go back and forth. Even so, he came back for another goat, and another and another. You can hear, like, Kramer, I don't know, talking to Newman or something, you know what I mean? <laughs> Newman! <laughs> exactly, yeah. 
So Sancho says, even so, he came back for another goat and another and another. And then Don Quixote interrupts him and says, just say he ferried them all. If you keep going back and forth like that, it'll take you a year to get them across. Sancho says, how many have gone across so far? How the devil should I know, responded Don Quixote. That's just what I told your grace to do, to keep a good count. Well, by God, the story's over and there's no way to go on. How can that be, responded Don Quixote. Is it so essential to the story to know the exact number of goats that have crossed <laughs> that a mistake in the count means you cannot continue the tale? No, senor, I can't, responded Sancho, because as soon as I asked your grace to tell me how many goats had crossed, and you said you didn't know, at that very moment I forgot everything I had left to say, and by my faith it was a very interesting, it was very interesting and pleasing. <laughs> Do you mean to say that the story is finished? said Don Quixote. As finished as my mother, said Sancho. I tell you truthfully, responded Don Quixote, that you have told one of the strangest tales, stories, or histories that anyone in the world ever thought of, and this manner of telling it and then stopping it is something I shall never see and have never seen in my life. So Yeah, so it's like <laughs> this weird postmodern non-story anti-joke. What's funny, what's funny would... isn't the joke, it's the way of telling it, it's the the failed telling of it that is funny. I know, and of course it's also Cervantes himself making fun of himself, right? Yeah. In his way of storytelling. But I like your comparison with Seinfeld, because the characters are kind of cartoonish. I didn't realize that until my 30s, that the Seinfeld characters are not real. They're complete cartoons. Yeah. Cartoon characters. And this novel proceeds episodically. You know, each chapter will present like a new episode. The story isn't, yeah. it's not exactly continuous. These completely ridiculous, out-of-control scenarios. Yeah. With people that are, it's like big children, basically. I've told you several times that it reminds me a lot of our kids and the conversations they have. One of our kids will say something absurd to the other, and the other will be so incredulous and just take it all in, and just believe it wholesale, and be like, wow, oh, really? Yeah. You know? Oh, I didn't know. But, you yeah. know, like, Isaac was like, oh, I can make you a hamster out of DNA that I find on the street. You know what I mean? And Magda says, oh, that's great. And I, like, totally believes it. And then they come up to me and say, we're going to make a hamster. <laughs> but Ma so it's like, so Sancho Panza kind of believes Don Quixote when he says, well, I'm going to make you an emperor of this island. He, he's, he, Sancho Panza is wonderfully gullible. Mm-hmm. But then on the next page, is completely disbelieving and skeptical and annoyed. You know what I mean? I know, but isn't it amazing? Because as much as these are caricatures, I feel like that's what all friends are like. When friends get together and talk, they just are so, we're so willing in our storytelling to suspend yeah. our disbelief, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's part of the pleasure of storytelling and listening. It's accentuated in our children, so... Isaac will say this absurd thing, and then Magda will be like, wow, cool, we're going to make a hamster. But then at other times, Isaac will say something, and Magda will be like, Isaac, you can't, you can't levitate. Come on, man. You know, she'll kind of call him out on his absurdity. Yeah. Just like Sancho Panza saying, eh, those aren't giants. Mm -hmm. So these, suspending our disbelief sometimes, but being, but not taking it in at other times, is accentuated in children. Yeah. It's more noticeable in children, and it's more noticeable in these characters, but we all do it to some degree. Oh, as totally. you say, even adult friendships are like this. Totally. I feel like 
when my siblings and I get together, we retell these stories. We all know. And we all know them. And then we like, I'll know that my siblings know that some part of the story is super exaggerated or maybe not even true, but I just, you know, keep going with it. Yeah. (laughs) And yeah, they completely go along with it. And it's just so interesting. It's more about the rhythm of the friendship. You know what I mean? It's like, that's one of the best things about this book. The actual events that happen, Sancho Panza being tossed in a blanket or Don Quixote fighting with this person or that person, are much less interesting to me than just the conversations. Conversations between two adults that have retained in some way like all of the innocence and credulity of childhood. Mm-hmm. I like what Milan Kundera says about this. He says, Don Quixote is practically unthinkable as a living being, and yet in our memory, what character is more alive? He isn't really, he is a caricature. He's not, he, he is unthinkable as a human being. There's no human being that is like this. We all know someone like that, and we love that person. Yeah, and yet he, he's so vital and so alive and so real. Seems to be that every story is about love. He has this Dulcinea fixation. And there are other lovers that he comes across who sigh and moan in the wilderness and <laughs> write love poems. And, and then there's Sancho Panza, who, when, when Don Quixote promises Sancho Panza will become an emperor, he says about his wife, well, I don't think my wife is made to be an empress. You know, not even a queen. <laughs> She's not that awesome. You know? <laughs> so there's that kind of intensely grounded and realistic, almost cruel. Whereas on the other hand, you know, Don Quixote will, he will officially say things like, it's better if I've never met Dulcinea because then I can imagine her however I want her to be. Mm -hmm. It's such a strange moment of um, self-awareness. It's very much like Hamlet. He says out loud, I don't want to meet her because then I won't be able to imagine her the way I want her to be. If this novel has an argument about love, and I'm not saying that it does, what would it be? So far, we should tell, we haven't said this. We should have said this the first thing. We're only about 230 pages in. So, 250 pages in. So, we'll be doing a few more conversations about this in the coming months. But, yeah, I love this. While you're thinking about what this novel is saying about love, satirizing it, valorizing it, this hilarious paragraph, poor lady called um, Marcella. She's apparently the most appealing woman for miles around. <laughs> Everyone and their dog is falling in love with her. It's just weeping and moaning (laughs) everywhere. I love this paragraph. Not very far from here is a place where there are almost two dozen tall beech trees, and there's not one that doesn't have the name of Marcella carved and written on its smooth bark. (laughs) And at the top of some, there's a crown carved into the tree, as if the lover were saying even more clearly that, that Marcella wears and deserves the crown more than any other human beauty. Here a shepherd sighs, there another moans, over yonder amorous songs are heard, and farther on desperate lamentations. (laughs) One spends all the hours of the night sitting at the foot of an oak tree or a rocky crag, not closing his weeping eyes, and the sun finds him in the morning, absorbed and lost in his thoughts. Another gives no respite or rest to his sighs, and in the middle of the burning heat of the fiercest summer afternoon, lying on the burning sand, he sends his complaints up to merciful heaven. It's just a, <laughs> a wilderness strewn with the wrecked, love, rejected lovers, the wrecked souls that she has rejected. Oh my gosh. 
too funny to think about. Like, if this was a movie, it would be like the funniest scene ever filmed. It would be a Looney Tunes cartoon. <laughs> I've seen this exact cartoon. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't know what Cervantes is saying about love, but I absolutely know what he's saying about what people's ideas about love make them do, how they make them, how people act. Mm. People's ideas about romantic love make them ridiculous and laughable, but also very relatable and tragic. And it seems like that the book might be making an argument that this ridiculous belief in romantic love, you know, I'm saying ridiculous because of the intensity of it in some of these characters, is a necessary evil to get things done. <laughs> Or maybe not a necessary evil, but... It's something that all humans fall prey to from time to time. So you mean necessary in that sense, like unescapable? Or... Well, it is unescapable, but it is also, um, you know, for example, Don Quixote knows that he needs this illusion of Dulcinea. He, he needs the illusion specifically, and not her as a person and her essence. Um, in order to do all the things that he wants to do. He needs it as a sort of fuel to accomplish great things. So I think maybe it goes back to maybe more generally, not just romantic love, but... Delusion in general. Yeah, and faith and hope, I think. Our faith and hope needs a certain amount of irrational sort of... Yeah, delusion. I don't know what else to call it. What about Sancho Panza's relationship with his wife? I mean, I don't know what I'm asking exactly, but... I mean, yeah. Is it a, is it a more appealing or attractive type of relationship, one that, that is completely realistic and grounded? Uh, I don't know, but it is definitely complete opposite. There's got to be a better gray area. <laughs> right, 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 right. You know what I mean? There's this wonderful older Chinese man I used to work with, and... He was very straightforward and direct. And I asked him what he did for Valentine's Day. And he's like, oh, no, me and my wife are not romantic. I was like, oh, wow. <laughs> you know, he immediately just shook his head. I'm like, oh, okay. It's just, it was so funny to me because I have literally never in my entire life come across a person who just declared officially that they're not romantic. You know what I mean? <laughs> in their mm -hmm. relationship. Isn't that, have you ever? No, not that, not that abruptly. I know, I just thought it was so interesting. The novel doesn't give us... A, everyone is a caricature, so Sancho Panza is one extreme, Don Quixote is another. So far we haven't met a well-balanced person. Yeah. <laughs> so it's as if both extremes are being satirized, maybe just inviting us to fill in the blank. It's like, you don't want to live like this, in which you're married to a woman who... You, de you, you you choose to demote from empress to, hmm, she's not that great. You, know I mean? <laughs> you don't want that kind of relationship, but you also don't want a relationship in which you refuse to see the person for who they are because then you won't get to imagine something better. Yeah. You know, it's funny. Before I had, before I had my daughter, I was, I hated it when people called their, their daughters little princesses or, you know, cute. 
weird royal things like that. <laughs> they were so elevated, you know, where they put their kid on some kind of weird pedestal. But <laughs> as soon as my daughter was born, I was calling her princess left and right, all the highest royal <laughs> levels. <laughs> and I don't know, I think I think it's a charming aspect of humans, this um, um, affection at exaggeration. It, w- if world, you know that you're doing it. The world needs more people who look at the outcast and degraded and call them noble and royal. Like our daughter. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> Not like our daughter. <laughs> I know, yeah. Like Don Quixote, you know, and everyone he meets. You yeah, because I mean? yeah, there's there's definitely something to the whole idea of fake it till you make it. Or, um... If you choose to see the world a certain way, that's how you will see it. Yeah. The Quran says everywhere you look, there is the face of God. And I think at the beginning it might feel like you're faking that kind of outlook on life. But it can become very real, I think. Mm-hmm. Hafiz, you know, that Hafiz poem that we love in which she says, how can I stop myself from using my head to ring great bells or putting all of my, tying all of my belongings to a stick and setting them on fire just because of the sheer joy and madness from seeing God everywhere. (laughs) Postmodernism, I hate to sound like a professor, but is there anything this novel didn't invent? I know, I'm shocked. Everything that people think is new that they're doing, you know, these days with, I don't even know what. Being meta. Being meta, yeah, self-conscious, the narrator winking at himself. Mm-hmm. All of that was invented at least 400 years ago. The, 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 the narrator abruptly ends his tale and says, this is where the manuscript ends, I have to go find more of the story. And he finds this Arabic manuscript and then <laughs> he stops someone in the marketplace to try to translate it for him and there are wonderful moments where Don Quixote says well one day some great and glorious storyteller will be recounting all of my deeds you know <laughs> Cervantes being wonderfully self-referential mm. I just have to read before we end this one hilarious part where Don Quixote has read in all these books of chivalry that men fall so madly in love with these women that they lose their minds. And Sandra Panza says, It seems to me that the knights who did these things were provoked and had a reason to do senseless things and penances. But what reason does your grace have for going crazy? What lady has scorned you, and what signs have you found to tell you that my lady Dulcinea of Toboso has done anything foolish with more or Christian? Therein lies the virtue, responded Don Quixote, and the excellence of my enterprise. For a knight errant deserves neither glory nor thanks if he goes mad for a reason. <laughs> the great achievement is to lose one's reason for no reason. Oh my gosh. So he decides to like do all these deeds that are, you know, signs of his signs of his madness. He says, At least Sancho I want, because it is necessary, I say I want you to see me naked and performing one or two dozen mad acts, which will take me less than half an hour. <laughs> I know, that's amazing. I feel like, in many ways, Cervantes was making fun of, um, you know, the idea that artists have to be this, these fiery, mad sort of um, personalities. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Who take pride in their madness, right? 
Yeah. It's like, oh, I'm so crazy. I'm so volatile. <laughs> yeah, I'm just <laughs> so drunk on my feelings and drunk on you know, alcohol. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> drunk on all the things and and it just I feel like so many artists take great pride in yeah, their that's inability exactly. to function in society. <laughs> that's such a great point. I mean, not all, of course. There are many extremely respectable, humble yes. people who don't flaunt their wrestlings with the muse, but mm-hmm. there are just all too, too many Instagram accounts where it's like, oh, look at me being raw and volatile and half crazy. Yeah, for sure. You know what I mean? And, of course, people people really value and take great pleasure in seeing artists just suffer, I right? I know. The artists who suffer, the musicians who suffer, or the poets who kind of burn bright and then burn out early are getting mm. attention, getting a lot of attention for the wrong reasons. Yeah. Yeah, our culture definitely glorifies the suffering, dysfunctional artist, right? So that's definitely being satirized here. Yeah. So one, of, one, of the things, one of the things that Don Quixote does is, this is the narrator speaking, and hastily he pulled off his breeches and was left wearing only his skin and shirt tails. And then, without further ado, he kicked his heels twice, turned two cartwheels with his head down and his feet in the air, and revealed certain things. <laughs> <laughs> that's my favorite part. Revealed certain things. Sancho, in order not to see them again, pulled on Rosinante's reins and turned him around, satisfied and convinced that he could swear his master had lost his mind. It is just like Instagram. <laughs> it so is. It's like, well, I'm not actually crazy, but I have to get attention somehow, and everyone else is doing it, so I'll do half-naked cartwheels. <laughs> you know what I mean? To on prove, a mountain. <laughs> to prove that I'm zany. Yeah, that's right. I'll go do yoga on a mountain. <laughs> People don't do yoga on mountains. You know what I mean? Last words. We're going to come back to this novel in a future conversation because we're going to keep reading it. Is this, is this not the perfect novel to read very slowly, bit by bit, yeah. out loud? Because there's no plot that you need. There's, there's no huge cast of characters you need to keep straight. Yeah, reading it very quickly and, you know. I did. A few years ago, I read it by myself very quickly. It's like binging on Seinfeld, right? Trying to watch it all in one week or something. Well, it wasn't that pleasurable because honestly, all like the Cardenia stuff and Marcella, it's like, okay, I get it story after story of Owen oh, and they found these sonnets, these love sonnets on another crazy lover. And <laughs> I, I kind of felt like I got it, but being forced to read it out loud and slowly, each episode is savorable. Yeah. And intensely pleasurable. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> I know that... There's so many funny lines. There's so much slapstick, but there's also so much subtlety. So much subtlety that you notice when you read it out loud and slowly like we have been. Like, we didn't even talk about the night of the sorrowful face, but is that something that... Is that an example of what you mean by subtlety? That he chooses that as his kind of nickname, the night of the sorrowful face? It's so beautiful. Yeah, that's an example. Well, no, that's not what I meant, but that is an example. That's one thing about the book that is amazing. I truly love Don Quixote, you know what I mean? I don't view him as a clown who doesn't matter, who I like to just laugh at. 
No, he's he's a touching character. Well, this is a good question to finish for now on. Why do you love him so much? I love Sancho Panza too. Huh? I, yeah. <laughs> I think I love them equally, but what makes them so lovable? And it, your love for them doesn't grow over time, does it? It's more or less fully present right when you meet them. Isn't that true? Of course, yeah. And that's not true for, say, like a character like Anna Karenina. I mean, you grow to love Anna Karenina, but not in the first scene that she appears. Do you know what I mean? And not for being ridiculous. What makes <laughs> what makes Don Quixote and Sancho Panza instantly and profoundly lovable? Why don't they have to grow on you? Quote unquote stupid. It's so hard to say. I I feel like it's just like watching your kids. You have a great affection as you watch Don Quixote, you know, decide, okay, I'm now making I am I have this cardboard helmet, I don't know what he used, but it's yeah. this ridiculous helmet that he made out of Pasteboard or something, whatever that is. Yeah. And I want this so badly, I'm just going to make my own things, and I'm I'm starting right now. It's like, you know, watching your kids decide they're going to be, I don't know. I think that's what, exa- you're exactly right. Astronauts, and they build their own, you know. As soon as your kid comes in dressed up as something, and it's specifically that they really believe that they could do it. <laughs> I know. Even though you also know they're smart enough to know that they can't and that it's not real, but it's that reckless hope. Or defiance of reality. Yes, that's better. This extremely, yeah, this extremely attractive defiance of reality that children have, but adults grow out of it. I think... You're right. What we see in them that we instantly love is what we all have lost. It's go- it goes back to Wordsworth, as everything in my life does. We don't have that childhood innocence anymore. We lose it. Mm-hmm. And whenever we see it, either in children or in the rare adult who has preserved it, it is, it is magnetic to us. Yeah. It is instantly attractive, instantly compelling. Mm-hmm. Here are two, I think Sancho Panza too, I mean, Don Quixote to a greater degree, but Sancho Panza is so wonderfully gullible and innocent Mm. and is taken in half the time by it. So here are two adults who have retained the wonderful innocence and pure naivete that we love in children and that we all kind of wish we had still. I don't want to plunge us back into a circular conversation, but the question remains. Like Wordsworth would say, no, it's good that you outgrow that. Yeah, mourn the loss of it. It's a loss, but you don't want to actually keep that as an adult. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You don't actually want to keep that. Yeah. Maybe you want to be able to dip back into it from time to time, but maturity is a good thing. We live in a culture, don't we, where too many adults refuse to grow up. Yeah. And we'll only watch Pixar movies. Right. There's got to be a way to keep an inner Don Quixote fire burning in us without without the fire being all-consuming and yeah. leading us into trouble all the time. To have him be a mode we can adopt when we feel like it's appropriate. Yeah, or maybe at all times. Maybe all decisions have to have a bit of Don Quixote in them. Yeah, that too, that's right. Like, every choice we make, he gets a voice at the table. Not, like, the only voice, but one of the voices. Mm-hmm. Sancho Panza gets a voice.
Mm-hmm. <laughs> the end? Yeah. To be continued? <laughs>